want to encourage you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to pick up where we ended last week, and this morning we're going to focus on John 10, verses 22 through 30. So as you're turning there, I'll take just a moment to give you an update on how Emma is doing. The last three weeks have gone incredibly well. Um, Emma's had some very, very good therapy sessions. Uh, We've been greatly encouraged because we're seeing more movement, uh, especially in speech. We're seeing more movement in Emma's tongue and and jaws, which is a great sign. So continue to keep praying. Her lungs have been clear. And, uh, of course, in many ways, our life hasn't changed. A lot of the precautions we are taking now, we've been taking for a long time. So just uh, praying for Emma as we pray for one another that we will indeed stay well. Now, John 10 is continuing really the aftermath of the healing that Jesus performed in John chapter 9. Jesus healed a blind man there, healed this blind man in the temple. This has caused a lot of discussion about who Jesus is, by what authority he does this. And so the Pharisees and the Jews are still questioning Jesus as to his identity. So that's where we pick up in verse 22 of John 10. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Join me in prayer once again. Father, your word is truth. And this morning as we gather as a church, we ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear you. We are confident that your word will accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth. So, Father, incline our hearts that we will be open to your purpose. That we will not rebel and fight against what you are doing, but that we will receive your word with open hearts and open minds, saying, Here I am, Lord. Transform me. Grant this, Father, we pray to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, it's been almost four years since my mother passed away. And as many of you have lost your mother or your father can attest to, I still miss her greatly. One of the things that I miss about my mother are what we would call imogenisms. The things that mom would say. Sayings that were just a part of her. Such things as fiddlesticks. Whenever she would get frustrated, I would hear her say that. I never really was sure what fiddlesticks were other than to know they were sticks you fiddled with and mom was upset. Mom would often say, lousy day, 
She'd be tired, lousy day, Mark. I don't know what we're going to do. Sometimes mom would come out with these little profound proverbs such as, there's no rest for the righteous and the wicked don't get tired. I've often pondered upon that. But one of the things that my mom would often say that I remember frequently and try to apply is this. Plain talk is easy understood. Plain talk is easy understood. In other words, speak plainly. Don't beat around the bush. Don't complicate things. Just speak plainly. That issue is really what is taking place here because notice what the Jews say to Jesus in verse 24. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. In other words, Jesus, plain talk is easy understood. If you're the Messiah, say so plainly. Now, the question they ask is highlighted by the context. Notice in verse 22, John highlights that this was taking place at the Feast of Dedication. Now, the Feast of Dedication is not a biblical feast. If you were to look back through the Torah, you would not find the Feast of Dedication mandated upon God's people. It was a feast that actually developed approximately 100 years before the time of Jesus. It was a feast to commemorate the rededication of the temple after a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes was defeated by a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus in what's known as the Maccabean War. Another name, to speak plainly, for the Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. It's a festival that celebrates God's deliverance of the Jewish people and the rededication of the temple. But the unique thing about the Feast of Dedication is that it didn't just look to the past at what God did then. It was a time where the Jewish people looked forward to the one who would come and bring light to the world. It was a time where they looked forward to the coming Messiah. So this question they ask in verse 24 is very appropriate during the Feast of Dedications when they are anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. Jesus, are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Now the way that I interpret verse 25, I believe there is a little bit of exasperation in the voice of Jesus. I told you. And you don't believe. I've spoken plainly. And not only does Jesus say I have spoken that I am the Messiah, my works demonstrate that I'm the Messiah. And then Jesus gives the reason for their unbelief. Verse 26. You do not believe because you were not among my sheep. Now those words would be shocking. Because if anyone thought they were truly in the sheepfold as sheep, it would be the Jews. They did the works. They tried to follow the Torah meticulously. They were God's chosen people. But yet they weren't a part of the sheep. Earlier, Jesus had said that if a person doesn't recognize the voice of Jesus, in other words, if they do not recognize that He is the Messiah, they're not a sheep. If they don't follow Him, that is, if they don't live in obedience to Him, that person, is not a sheep. So in verse 27, Jesus speaks plainly about the qualities of a sheep. Now this hits at the question of how can we know that we have eternal life? How can we know that we are among the sheep? 
How can we know that we have truly been saved? Where Jesus gives some qualities that will help us to do a little bit of self-introspection to answer those questions. How can we be sure that we are true followers of Jesus? The first identifying mark is this. A sheep hears his voice. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. A sheep will listen to the voice of Jesus. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, he's talking about more than just receiving sound waves as they hit these satellite dishes on the side of our heads. And as those sound waves hit the hammer and anvil and are translated into vibrations through the eardrum, and those vibrations then are sent via electrical stimuli through the nerve passages into the brain and translated into sound. He's referring to more than just that. Hearing means listening and responding to. Hearing in many ways is synonymous with calling here. The sheep hear and receive the calling of Jesus. The idea of a, a summons. Because there is a difference between hearing and listening. There is a difference between hearing and responding. These People, the Jews, they could hear the sound waves produced by the mouth of Jesus. But they weren't listening. You know the difference between hearing and listening. Let me give you a hypothetical situation. And any resemblance between this hypothetical situation and real life is purely coincidental. Imagine that there is a young couple. God has blessed them with a, a baby. And as babies are wont to do, sometimes at night they wake up and they begin crying. There's no denying the sound waves that are, are coming from the child's mouth at a decibel level that would, would, would equal that of an NFL stadium. The father hears, but rolls over and feigns sleep. The mother hears, and she is compelled to respond even though she heard just as the dad did. One is listening, the other is just hearing. A sheep hears and responds. The second thing that Jesus says about a sheep is a little bit puzzling. In verse 27 he says, and I know them. So a sheep is known by Jesus. At first this seems odd. It seems like you really don't have to state the obvious here, Jesus. Of course you know them. But this is an important reminder that salvation centers upon a relationship. I remind you of what I said earlier. The Jews hearing this would have been considered the moral people, the good people. Those who were doing the right things. Honest, hardworking. People who would be straight with you. that would not think of cheating you one bit. People who may even be kind. However, they did not hear or respond by Jesus, so they were not known by Jesus. You understand that our relationship with the Lord is not just about mouthing words or lifting a hand at a conference when, a, when the invitation is given. It's not just about checking a mark on a box on a card. Salvation is relational, that we know Jesus, and He knows us. This same truth was taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. 
as Jesus is teaching the disciples, as he brings this message to the conclusion, he says these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now that phrase, Lord, Lord, is a term of endearment. One who would say, Lord, we love you, we love you. Jesus continued by saying, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's ironic because we would think that everything they did was the will of the Father. We would think that everything that these people who professed faith did were acts, works of God. But Jesus says, no, that's because the primary work of God is our salvation through faith in Jesus. So Jesus reminds us that that salvation is relational. That being a part of the flock means that we are known by Him. Because we confess Him and have a relationship with Him through faith. This is demonstrated by repentance. We are known by Christ as we repent from our sin and turn toward Him. And recognize that any any act that is not based upon faith is not pleasing to God. A sheep is known by the shepherd. We are known by Jesus as we repent from our sin, confessing Him as Lord. And a sheep will also follow the shepherd. That's the third thing he points out in verse 27. They follow me. A sheep will be obedient to the shepherd. When the shepherd calls, the sheep comes. When the shepherd says go, the sheep follows and goes. A sheep hears, a sheep is known, and a sheep obeys the shepherd. Obedience is a part of our relationship with Jesus. Now often, preaching this is shot away from because of the fear that we will be accused of preaching salvation by works. And I want to be clear that salvation is an act of God's grace alone. It is not earned, it is received. We can contribute nothing to our salvation except our sin. That's all we bring to the table. But God is gracious and we are saved by faith. However, Once grace is received, once salvation is secured, we are prompted to act. Obedience demonstrates our faith in Jesus. Jesus did not shy away from this truth. Jesus says, and we'll read this later in John, He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If we ignore the call to follow, the call to obey, we are cheapening the grace of God. That phrase, cheap grace, is one that was made famous or well-known by the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Martyred in 1944 because of his activities in fighting Hitler, he wrote prolifically prior to his death, Perhaps his best-known book is called The Cost of Discipleship, where he wrote an exposition on the Sermon on the Mount. And in that book, he talks about how we cheapen the grace of God because of our reticence in obeying. If you'll allow me to quote a paragraph 
that Bonhoeffer wrote about cheap grace. He said these, wrote these words. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the kingly rule of Christ. For whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. End quote. It's part of the irony of grace. Grace is free. Yet it cost us everything. Grace is not given because of our works. But our works happen because we have been given grace. That's why James said, You show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Three marks of a sheep. They they hear and respond to the voice of the call of Jesus. They are known by Jesus and they obey Jesus. Now I want to press on just a little bit more. Because of the gift of grace in verses 28 through 30, Jesus speaks of the security that we can have. The sheep are secure because of the shepherd. What I want to talk about at this point is the doctrine of eternal security. This is one of the distinctives of the Baptist faith. That we believe salvation gained through faith by the grace of Jesus Christ cannot be taken away. This is something that many believers struggle with. Can a person lose their salvation because of sin? Can a person who has been adopted into the family of God be unadopted? Well, I want us to see that we can be secure in our salvation And once again, in these verses, verses 28 through 30, there are three reasons given. The first is this. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift from Jesus. Look in verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life. The sheep are given eternal life. Now, if salvation is earned, it's not a gift. It's a wage. But if it is given, then it is a gift. Paul emphasizes this in Romans when he says, the wages of sin is death. What sin earns is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. Now, some may say that we are justified by grace, but we stay saved by what we do. But if you hold that salvation is given by grace, but maintained by our works, basically you're teaching a work salvation. We are saved by God's grace. We are sustained by God's grace. We are kept by the grace of God. And we will be glorified because of the grace of God. The view that salvation can be lost gives no confidence or peace. It will breed uncertainty and fear. Imagine a child at Christmas time being given a gift. But once they open that present, they are told, but the minute you disobey, I'm taking that gift away forever. The minute you disobey in any way. Can you imagine the fear that that child would have? 
that the moment, the very moment they commit the least little infraction, that gift is taken away. If we hold that salvation can be lost, we will live with fear and uncertainty. Because what is the divine calculus that determines when salvation is lost? At what point do we cross the line? Is it one sin? Is it a big sin? I would ask you then what sins are little to God? You see, there's no way to have peace of mind and heart if we believe this gift can be taken away. I would remind you that the sheep follow the shepherd. And if a sheep starts to wander off, the shepherd reclaims them. Hebrews 12 teaches this when it talks about the discipline that God gives to his children. Notice this gift is eternal life. If this eternal life can be lost, then it's not eternal. Follow my meaning. Eternal life means stretching on forever. You've been given this eternal life, a quality of life, and a quantity. But if it can be lost, that means it's conditionally eternal and potentially non-eternal. But Jesus doesn't equivocate here. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, ongoing life. So our salvation is secure because it is a gift from Jesus. Second reason we can be secure in our salvation is that it is promised by Jesus. Notice in verse 27, he says, they will never perish. That's a very strong word. The word never should not be taken lightly. This is a promise made by the Lord. The one who gives eternal life has promised us that we would never perish. So if there is a moment where that life could be taken away and we perish, then Jesus has lied to us. Notice that there's no if. They will never perish if they are completely obedient. There's no addendum here. If is lacking. He says simply, they will never perish. And understand that Jesus never lies. God never lies. If God were to lie, He would cease being God. If God were to lie, then the universe would implode upon itself. If God were to lie, you and I would have no hope whatsoever. But our God is not a liar. Jesus has never spoken an untruth. So when He says here, they will never perish. He is reminding us that as sheep, we are secure in the hands of our shepherd. Notice also, he gives a third reason. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. And notice he equates himself with God. My Father who has given to them to me is greater than all. When he says, my Father who has given them to me, he is rooting our salvation in God's work. God cannot fail. He says God is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now that statement in verse 30, at this point in this verse is not a statement of, of really the Trinity in the sense of them being completely one being. It's a statement of purpose. He is saying that just as the Father will not lose any who are in His hands, neither will I. They are united in this. I would ask you, what can overcome God? 
we sing the song very often, grace that is greater than our sin. If we mean that, and we believe salvation can be lost, we are saying that there is a sin greater than grace. I would remind you of the wonderful words found in Romans 8, where Paul wrote, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understand, nothing can separate us. Salvation is God's gift. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end and everything in the middle. Now some of you may be thinking, what about verses like Philippians 2, 12-13 where it says, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But don't forget the next verse, Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's working in you. That call to work out your salvation is simply a way of saying, live what you believe. It's a precursor to the passage I quoted earlier from James. Show your faith by what you do. What about the warning passages in Hebrews? Hebrews is a book written to warn Christians not to apostatize. So how do those warning passages keep in? What about the warnings of the dangers? Now, keep in mind, what we said earlier is one of the signs of a sheep. They hear the voice of Jesus and they follow. The warnings in Hebrews are real. They are the voice of our shepherd. So a true sheep hears those warnings and follows Jesus. The warnings in Hebrews are the way the shepherd speaks to us to guide us. So you see, Hebrews really affirms the doctrine of eternal security in that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and follow. Well, what about that person who says, well, I walked an aisle when I was 12, but I've not really lived for the Lord my entire life. While it is not for us to judge, we must look at what Jesus said. The sheep obey. The sheep follow. Is there that desire to follow Jesus? See, being a sheep doesn't mean that we don't get dirty at times. 
Sometimes we do wallow in the mud. But the question then is, what do we do when we recognize what we've done? Are we quick to repent? Are we quick to say, forgive me? I've tried to wander away from the shepherd. You see, I believe that the heart of a sheep is one that wants to follow the Savior even when they follow away. I believe that we are secure in our salvation because our salvation is a present from God. Our salvation is promised by God. And our salvation is kept by the power of God. I want you to think of it in terms like this. When a parent is with a small child and they are walking near a road where there is danger, that parent may be holding the child. That child may try to wiggle away he or she may see something that attracts their attention. They try to run toward that. And when they start to pull away, what does the parent do? The parent grabs the hand a little more tightly or even bends down and picks up the child and holds them close so they will not run away. If earthly parents take care of their children to keep them secure, how much more will our Heavenly Father do the same thing? I'd like to lead us in a prayer right now. And after this prayer, Cheryl's going to come and sing. And maybe where you are at home, I want to ask you just to use this message from John 10 as maybe a well check for your soul. When you look at those qualities of a sheep, where do you stand? Or maybe you've been wrestling with this issue of eternal security. Would you reflect on those verses and the promise the power and the presence of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your gracious love. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And Father, I ask that this morning you would stir our hearts so that we would consider, consider who you are. Consider your power, your, the presence you have given us and your promise. And to take a hard look do we hear you? Are we known by you? Do we follow? Father, thank you for being true and faithful. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.